It's August 25th, 2019, and this is episode 409 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, I'm here with Jonathan Mohan. Hey, hey. Stephanie Murphy. Hi. And special guest Vignesh, an Indian Bitcoin enthusiast and entrepreneur. Hi there. Thanks to all the hosts, our guests, and to you, the listener, for sitting in on today's session. A couple of weeks ago, we released episode 407, where during the first segment, the hosts and I discussed a rather draconian draft law being circulated in India, which would be the most comprehensive ban we've ever seen on Bitcoin or anything that looks, walks, or quacks like it. Further, the ban proposed to threaten people who didn't even use cryptocurrency, but merely talked about it with pretty onerous jail sentences. It's just a draft law, though, and at the end of that discussion, we put out a call for listeners with a more native understanding of the situation in India to reach out and help us fill in the blanks on that story. Today, as I said, we're joined by Vignesh, a cryptocurrency enthusiast, longtime entrepreneur, and Indian national. Vignesh, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. So Vignesh, you reached out to us after you heard our show, and we were really curious to get the perspective of someone who was closer to this situation than we were. I just want to ask you, first of all, like how big of a threat is this bill that we actually discussed or the proposal that we discussed? Do you think it's just FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt? Or is it really you know, something that people should be worried about if they're interested in using Bitcoin in India? Definitely, it's not FUD. Because the drafts are not like a rumor, they are not leaks. They are guidelines which officials are also sharing publicly. This is causing a discussion inside India, right? So it's definitely not fun, and it's something that's very serious, and we should look into uh, why and the motivations behind it very clearly. So you've been following the Bitcoin scene in India from a very early time. You said you started in. 2013, and you wanted to kind of bring Bitcoin to the masses in India, but you felt at that time that it was too early. Can you just tell us a little bit more detail about your background and how you got interested in Bitcoin and wanting to spread the message further? Sure. So I was born in Chennai, which is from the southern part of India. And I grew up in a smaller town in Tamil Nadu, which is also the southern state in India. I was just growing up during this liberalization of the economy post-1994. And I had internet. I was able to connect to the world. And that's how I started learning about the world, right? Really, if you look at my story, I would really say it's something that's combined and what a story should look like in terms of how someone from, say, a country like India, because of the power of internet and Bitcoin, has come to some relationship with the real world right and that is kind of where i got started in 2013 i listened to andreas it was not a very well-made video but it was on youtube and that intrigued me immediately right something spoke to me about bitcoin and i wanted to start i dropped everything i was working on and i started working on thinking about what can i do with bitcoin i started a firm called coincy which was like a crypto to crypto exchange which was just run by me not very well organized, but it grew to 14,000 people in like six months. And I was scared because this was a real industry. And that's when I moved to Canada and I met with people from Canada who were working on, like who would invite me to the team and we would co-found BitAccess together and we started making Bitcoin ATMs. And I thought that would take me into India. 
Yeah. Now, Jonathan was saying before we started recording that he actually remembered you from Bit Access. So, Jonathan, can you share your memory of Vignesh the first time you met him? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, this is the first time I've met Vignesh, but his co-founder, Hasib, is somebody who I met and hung out with a number of times. And Bit Access as a company is so early that I believe that they are the second Y Combinator startup funded that were Bitcoin related. So it went Coinbase and then BitAccess. There were a few companies in the same cohort, right? So we had SFOX and Blockstack, Filecoin, all funded in our same batch. Oh, I didn't know you guys were in the same batch as IPFS. Fascinating. For those who don't remember, back in 2014, that was the time where Canada was genuinely like a year or two ahead of the United States in regulation. So you really could do a Bitcoin vending machine, as they called it back then, <laughs> in Canada, and just have a Canadian company really be able to take center stage in what it means to do ATMs. So BitAccess is a fantastic company. You, you were actually saying that you know it's a successful you know, revenue-generating enterprise, which is very rare in tech and almost unheard of in crypto. <laughs> so just to say that you know I've been a huge fan of what the companies and things that you've been doing in this space for years. And, you know, it's just great to see how it evolves and your opinions on how ATMs and dissemination and access to ATMs couldn't be more topical because not only do you have understandings towards India, but you've been, you know, commercially engaging in the let's disseminate Bitcoin ATM game now for, you know, well over five years across the world. Especially because I've been working on the background because even though I was one of the founders, I was not the one who would be at the conferences, right? So I was the one who was working on the code and working on these pilot projects for remittances across like Philippines and India. And I even tried to think about putting one ATM because like I made a Bitcoin ATM and I could not put it in India, right? So <laughs> it was not a very happy time for me, actually. So I was still thinking, how can this bridge be built? And it's still a process. So why did you think at that time Aside from why you couldn't put the Bitcoin ATM in India, why did you think that it was basically too early and people were not ready for it back in the 2013 to 2016 era, let's just say? Because India, I would say, like from the investment point of view, if you look at the cities, it's where you'd have like highly educated people who are linked to the international economy. And if you go into the villages and if you go into towns, most of them, speak local language and their economy and the information is very limited within their system. So if you look at, they even knew about Bitcoin, no one did. And no one started knowing about Bitcoin in India until it became a bad thing, right? Like until there were like malware, where ransomware, which would ask for Bitcoin. That happened like there were machines infected in hospitals in India. So this was the kind of news Indians used to read about Bitcoin, right? And because there is no PR, positive PR, because Bitcoin is not an institution, a private institution, right? It's not like someone is trying to push positive PR into India. So if you look from that perspective, I would just say the PR has been negative because that was what reached people with the language and to reach the grassroots. I would say still a, most of the population would not know about Bitcoin in India today. Right. And what was the general feeling of people about the currency controls that have been going on in India for recent years? The, like, for example, the demonetization that happened, right? So if you look at 
people who suffered from that kind of a move, people who had uh, say 500 rupees with them, which would be like $10, and that'll be their food for the next couple of days. But then suddenly when something like this happens, it's not like they will have a bank account, right? So where do they go? And those kind of issues really cause a lot of, how do you say, like a direct impact. Like I would say it was a nice moment to understand how much power government has over the fiat currency, right? So people saw that. And I would say from that day, even though people have like been like, okay, it was done for good and everything, that's kind of the narrative that was being built. But people know that they cannot fully trust a 2,000 rupee note, which is in circulation today because if you do it once, maybe you'll do it one more time, right? So not a lot of people store cash anymore. So when you wrote to us, Vignesh, you were saying that there was a summons that was issued to all of the cryptocurrency exchanges by the Indian government, and they asked them to hand over a list of all their transactions and all of the people who were using those exchanges. And some of those people got follow-ups from the income tax department you think that it wouldn't be hard for the government to find out who to go after if they really want to pass this bill, you know, criminalizing all things about Bitcoin, and then they'll know who to prosecute. Tell us more about that. The underlying idea is that India, it's not a completely not corrupted country, right? Like corruption is something that has gotten better, like it has reduced from where it was much before. But nowadays, there is this kind of corruption, which is very ideological. So. Whichever the government that's ruling India right now, it's a very ideological party. And from where they are coming from, their ideology determines in which direction they'll be corrupted towards. So when these kind of issues happen where the exchanges have to give out all the information to the Indian government, and it's fair because if you have to like know how much taxes I have to pay, maybe that's a fair ask. But the information might not be used for that purpose, right? Like there is this trust issue with the government itself because of all this corruption that people could, inside the government and people who work for the government could start seeing what people own and go after them, right? So that's a huge issue. That's a huge attack vector. And India is a country which does not do a lot to protect people against it. That was my huge worry. I even tweeted about it. And I had a few people replying to me, like, I'm against like taxation, but I was not. Like, taxes are a very personal thing. And if, like, there is some way to have privacy over your wealth. That should not be an issue, right? Like, that should be something very basic. And that's not part of the Indian ideology today. I think this is a theme that we've heard before, which is that cryptocurrency has the potential, certainly used in systems that are mostly purely cryptocurrency to be very anonymous and very private. But in practice, the way we're seeing it, where you have exchanges as the way in, and then you have exchanges that need to be licensed, and then you have requirements for reporting by those exchanges, the private nature of it really isn't there at all right now, at least with the current way the infrastructure is working. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that's correct. And at least for the people who are taking this route to acquire Bitcoins, right? Because there'll be other people who for example, if there are politicians who would want to, say, buy Bitcoin, they'd probably go on the black market, right, and use cash to buy Bitcoin. And that's not going to come into the system. So the people who are being rather affected here are people who are, like, buying Bitcoins at a, at a smaller amount. They're retail, right? And when you affect these people, 
I really felt like this is something like you know how in Venezuela they started regulating the miners and then they came for the mining equipment like India is not a very friendly country for kinds of these innovations so they might do things which are not very good for this industry and people working in this industry so what is the status of peer to peer exchanges or decentralized kind of exchanges in India are there any of them or does anyone use it or do people just not dare <laughs> uh, i think local bitcoins had volumes uh, going through them in india and it was quite easy to liquidate or buy into bitcoin through local bitcoins but i guess they also had pressure to implement kyc and i'm sure that a lot of people have walked away but there are a few other outlets there are i would say that the trading and what going on in the market like underlying market has not taken so much of a toll but the retail has stopped so there are big traders who will trade and they have their own routes and local bitcoins etc but retail i would say they are really scared if you ask me if they have access they do but do they want to they are scared so they will not buy bitcoins that makes sense and how has this climate affected not just the you know desire to purchase it but the desire to work in bitcoin or on top of bitcoin or for bitcoin like has the developer communities in india sort of seen this as a technology that's not even worth pursuing or a career path that's not even worth looking at like is the government's interpretation of it affecting the actual like development desire in india for sure yes because when you start with say college students all the information they hear about like there is a lot of censorship in india too so it's just starting right like yeah whatever we imagine 10 years ago that's not the india we are getting to there is censorship for example there is ban on porn now and there is a lot of ban on information that against the government so that is also starting so ultimately if you look at a college student he does not get information about bitcoin he does not know how to learn bitcoin and if you look at the people who are already do they are worried they are thinking okay how do i make money out of this even if you start your venture in india like what will you tell your investors who are probably not in india right like if you want to get some investment vc money into india they'll be like maybe it's not viable in a year i should not take this risk so this kind of an environment means that a lot of people are discouraged and what is the saddest part is that india's export into the world is software right like software development and the back back end work is all they do and it's not like they cannot do the front end work too because that's not an opportunity the indians have taken up there are no products that are like world class from india but that's something that has to be solved i should say then not letting these innovations like get into india and we always will exist as a back end because i'm sure in a few years <laughs> blockchains will be ubiquitous and india will again become a back end that people like work on the software side they will learn blockchain but they will not have say become rich in this phenomenal economic change Hey folks, Adam B Levine here with Matt from purse.io for a quick sponsored minute. Matt, purse's mission since 2014 has been making bitcoin useful. How are you guys doing that? Thanks Adam. Well, with purse.io you can buy anything on Amazon using your bitcoin just like real money. 
Since 2014, we've saved Purse users millions of dollars. And this year, we have a new Chrome extension that you can add to your browser. So whenever you're shopping on Amazon, any Amazon product page will have a new little button that pops up and you can add that product to your purse shopping cart instead of your Amazon shopping cart and buy that item with your Bitcoin, usually for huge discounts, 15 to 20% or more. You know, since we recently started selling Let's Talk Bitcoin t-shirts, I've noticed actually that a lot of people, a surprising number of people are using credit cards to pay for those instead of Bitcoin. And when I've asked them, it's, they say it's because the value of spending it isn't worth it relative to the difficulty of, you know, getting it out of cold storage and all of that. So it seems like the discount is actually a somewhat important part of really giving people a reason to spend Bitcoin. Yeah, we find offering discounts to Bitcoin holders incentivizes them to bust out that hot wallet and actually use their Bitcoin like it's real money. To start saving today, visit purse.io or see the links in the show notes. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Adam. Vignesh, we got a couple of other emails from Indian listeners, notably Anant and Paramdeep, about the specific proposed bill itself. And I kind of wanted to, to bring up some of this and introduce it to the conversation. First off, Anant, one of the points he wrote in about said the proposed bill is not as widely supported as most proposed bills are. The reason for this is not that there are people in government that understand crypto, but more of apathy. Most people don't think that this bill is the most important thing at this time. But Anant was saying that that perspective will change if we see another bull run where the price goes up by 10 times, then it will become kind of a more important thing. Another point that he makes kind of later in his email is that the minister who is actually leading the proposed bill has resigned after the backlash that came out from this proposed bill. So the basic thought from Anant is that not only is this not very popular, but it already has had enough backlash that the person who was pushing it has actually been pushed out of government. The question here, I suppose, is how seriously do you take this draft bill relative to that? Are these indications, as Anant is saying, that this actually isn't very well supported, and at least for right now, this is very unlikely to come into reality? Or do you think that regardless of this pushback, that there is sort of a push by the government as a whole to get something like this in place? I strongly believe that it's not something we should just look over or relax over because it's not important right now. Because I don't think it's a naive thought. We might think that the government has become naive about Bitcoins. It does not understand how good it's for people, but it does. And beyond that, it also understands that its own fiat money is not in a very good place because of the demonetization and the loss in trust, right? So if you look at it from that perspective, India at some point will look at Bitcoin and every other currency as a competition and they will exactly do this. And if we don't speak up and if we think it's not a bill that's important to like try to defend because that no apathy, that's risky because once it happens, the ruling party has the majority in Lok Sabha, which is the lower house, and the majority in the upper house, which is the Rajya Sabha. So it will just pass. There will be nothing that stops it. So if you have to do something, I, I would. that's why I'm here. I'm speaking to people so that we should probably try to do something because if we miss this opportunity, it will be like rolling back a bill. And that's like significantly harder. In the intro, I talked about how the draft law would potentially make just education about cryptocurrency or talking about it illegal. Again, quoting from Anant's email, 
He says, the bill itself also states from page 68, nothing in the act shall apply to any person using technology or processes underlying any cryptocurrency for the purposes of experiment or research, including imparting of instructions to pupils, provided that no cryptocurrency shall be used for making or receiving payments in such activity. And so continuing with uh, Nant's email, he says, this means that technology development of crypto in India is not something that should get impacted. Think about it this way. One of the largest things India exports is technology and software services, and it's great at it. I don't think they will want to cut the incoming stream of money. It may, though, mean that you can't launch specific crypto products in India, but you can work on them for outside companies and release it there. So that's something, again, that we were kind of looking at and saying, well, does this mean that India, in a scenario where this gets passed in a law, completely cuts itself off? And it looks like they are at least thinking about kind of the repercussions on the technology side. Do you think that that would be enough? Again, just like playing devil's advocate here and assuming this actually does become law, does something like that actually solve the problem from the perspective? I don't believe so, because personally for me, the more important thing here is for people in India to have a piece of this pie, this pie which is an open system that anyone can participate in, right? And just because someone does not like it, like people not being able to participate in a, such a system, it is very wrong. There could be risk disclosures, there could be education where people say, okay, don't put more money in this than you could afford to lose. Like there are so many other things they could do. But a blanket ban means that we would go back to being software developers. And that's not what India should be in the coming years. So I don't want it to be a resource intensive industry, rather an industry which can produce world-class products. Right. How are you supposed to talk about something in a theoretical way, but you can't use it, right? I mean, it's like silly. Exactly. Exactly. Because if you, if you use it for education and experiment, where is this line? Is Bitcoin not an experiment, right? And when does it become real? So I'm not sure. So this kind of a situation is, is not very, like, it's not clear. So... Obviously, you're not part of the Indian government. Obviously, we're not part of the Indian government or any other government either. We've been trying to kind of read the tea leaves here and figure out, like, what's the thought behind this, that not just in the short term, because I agree with you, in the short term, it seems obvious that all of these countries are concerned about control over their currency, and they're concerned about ways that money can leak out of their local system and into other systems. So that seems viable. But at the same time, as we've discussed, it really does seem like this is a technology which even in the draft bill, they kind of acknowledge isn't going away in that they talk about specifically banning this decentralized type of digital currency, private digital currencies or whatever. But there's an implication there that there are types of digital currencies that maybe they wouldn't ban. So, I mean, like, do you think that the Indian government has aspirations to put something out there that would potentially compete in this scenario as perhaps like a locally accepted version with everything else banned? Sure. So India is working on a lot of these open data initiatives, right? So it's not just say, the government, but there's also this private-public partnership ideas. Like even Aadhaar was built by someone from the private industry, right? So he was part of Infosys, and then he went on to design the system. And in the same way, they're now building, say, an open financial data kind of a sharing platform for banks within India. So they're doing all of those innovations. That is happening on the current centralized structure. And I'm sure that they will probably introduce a digital rupee, which is on the blockchain and that the Reserve Bank of India controls, etc. But this has nothing to do with crypto. Like this has nothing to do with Bitcoin. And that is being 
what I'm trying to voice out because everything, the, all those things are nice, but they're going to come anyways. But the government should be more open to let companies innovate and try these open blockchain initiatives because we don't know what's going to come out of India. And India is a country of stories. And I want to tell this specifically because India is a country of stories. It, it creates gods and it creates means. It creates economies out of these means. And that is exactly what a cryptocurrency is. So India is a beautiful country where if you go away from this one, one market idea where the Indian country, the government is just being a gatekeeper and they might even have this law passed for a day and get it unbanned if there are some lobbying going on, right? Like I can give you an example. There was this app called TikTok, which had like a quarter of a billion users in India and it was banned because it was like morally wrong. So they banned it. But in six days, it was back up and people could use it again. So if you look at those kind of things, maybe India is doing this because they want to gatekeep the market and they could let a few cryptocurrencies into the industry that could happen but natively if you want to try as an individual if you want to try something different inside india say cryptocurrency solves market issues like we can create open markets around various stuff that are native to india but those kind of innovations right now are starving and i spoke to a lot of these people who are not software but are artists and people from other literature backgrounds who are very intrigued by this idea of blockchain, right? And with that idea in mind that blockchain gives themselves sovereignty, that is something they want to explore inside India and see how that will help them and how that will help carve the society into prosperity. But this kind of a bill stops those initiatives more than anything. I think that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that perspective. So, you know, Vignesh, we don't typically talk about, um, <laughs> you know, we talk about the ideas, people and projects, but we actually don't talk about the projects too much anymore because there tends to be, you know, some type of speculative element in it that kind of muddies the water. Um, but I do actually want to ask what projects, if any, going on in India right now, are you excited about as particularly innovative or ones that you think could actually break through and make a difference somewhere in the world? I'm increasingly looking for places where Perhaps there are very exciting projects going on, but we're just kind of not aware of them because we're not really looking there. Is there anything like that that you want to tell us about? Or is your perspective bleak and someone has to get out of India yeah. if they're interested in that point? <laughs> no, actually, like we were at East India, which happened, I think, the first week of August, so not a long time ago. And I saw the energy there, right? Like we spoke to a room of 300 people. And it had so much energy and, and so many projects came out of it. If you go on, I think it's on Medium. We put together a blog post about what was happening in East India because we wanted to tell people there are so many projects going on, right? And even I working on this project, which is Lendred, which is data Singapore, a lot of people who work with me now are Indian nationals, right? So my project has a lot of interest towards what's happening in India because I depend on people working for me who are actually Indian nationals. And also, as I go into India and I talk to these developers, I see that there are a lot of interesting ideas. Uh, there is also this company called Matic, and they're also ha having this trouble because they're based in India and they have to figure out how to grow their company. And companies like this, which are currently have some kind of presence in India, 
are actually considering say moving to Singapore or Dubai, which means that it would become harder to recruit more talent from India. So I would say it's a it's a bad thing for the whole industry. Not a lot of people will become experts who are from India in the blockchain technology, and it will not be a widespread knowledge. And it's also predicated on this thought that they can gatekeep everything in every way. And when it comes to the internet and information propagation through that, it's one area that governments have yet to caught up that their control does not exceed, you know, what they think it does in meat space. And I remember back in the early days of Bitcoin in the U.S., there were a number of conversations that business people would have where they would say, look, the genie's out of the bottle on this type of financial payment system. And this technology is going to be here. We've hit critical mass, so it's going to run away. And it's not something you can stop. And the decision that you have to make is understand that the people who are in this space right now are the most willing to work with you, are the most concerned about following the law and doing things in a way that doesn't hurt people. If you outlaw us, the technology is not going to go away. All that's going to happen is those people get replaced by people who don't care about the law, who don't care about making sure people who aren't hurt, who don't care about doing things the legal and moral right way. And the technology itself will just become more antagonistic and less capable of being monitored or surveilled or worked with in a way that they would like. So, you know, I think that if this law gets passed, all that's going to happen is there might be like a one or two year lull that they perceive as, ha, we won. But really all that's happening is that all the good market actors are leaving, all the ones that don't care replace them. And then the features that Bitcoin needs in order to be anonymous enough to be within the dynamic they need to make it work will manifest. And then what they'll have is the worst case scenario, which is a bunch of people who don't care about hurting people, who don't care about breaking the law, doing exactly what they didn't want to have happen because they refuse to work with anyone who tried to do it the right way. Then they'll say they're right, just like the US government banned every single exchange that tried to do it the right way. And so the only exchange we had was the one that did everything the wrong way in Mt. Gox. And then after Mt. Gox blew up, they said, you see, this is why we denied all the US exchanges for coming online, because they would have done that. So it's like when you outlaw the good people who care, the only thing you're going to get are the bad people who don't. And the thing that I fear is both a positive for me as an American is that there's a lot of obfuscation technology that I want prioritized in my Bitcoin that hasn't happened because there hasn't been a large enough material incentive. And the entire population of India is a fantastic feature bounty for that extensibility in Bitcoin. But what I fear for the people of Bitcoin is that the people a year or two from now who will be doing entrepreneurship in it will be the ones who don't care about breaking the law and don't care about the consequences of their actions to the regular Indian. So it's sad because it's going to give us the least preferred outcome to both classes of actors, the people who are in this space who care and what the government says they're trying to protect people from. And because we don't get a chance to show people what good can come out of Bitcoin, it will never be known. Right? But on a positive note, people cannot stop this technology. The government cannot just outlaw something and stop this technology. From India, I'm very confident with the kind of people I spoke to in the last year. There are a lot of these initiatives which are secretive, which are underground, and people are understanding how these mechanics work. And recently, even when I visited the Web3 Summit, I saw that the world is going towards a DAO model, right? Like a DAO model of governance, etc. And these are very interesting principles 
for India. I'm not talking about oh India being able to use a cryptocurrency. I'm talking about its use as an anti-corruption tool and for people to organize themselves. Don't don't tell them that. Why do you think they're banning it? <laughs> so that's the angle. Why I'm trying to say this is because there are a lot of other people who should know this. It's not like they don't know that. So I'm okay to say that to them because they do know that. And that's what I'm trying to say. They are not naive in this. They are part of this. They understand exactly what crypto can do. And that's why this ban of the draft bill is more serious. It's not because you cannot own Bitcoin. It is because they are trying to prevent like any political experimentation, any new kind of market formation that they cannot be part of. So that's the issue here. You know, you say that they're banning market innovation because they can't be part of it. I think that it's actually the other way around. It's that they're banning market innovation because they can't prevent other people from being part of it, right? Like the part that's been most exciting about this entire technology movement to myself, as I've said many, many times, is the inability to maintain an effective monopoly on uh, regional, local, and kind of government currencies in general, because there's no way you can actually stop this underlying technology. But similarly, just as there's no way to stop the technology, it's nothing to say that governments can't actually participate as people who follow the protocol and who use the tools kind of in the ways that they're designed to be used. It's just that that presents a scenario to modern governments that they find very unattractive because it puts controls on their abilities to kind of do what they want with the money as a tool of policy as opposed to a tool of money. So, (laughs) you know, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, certainly. But certainly we see that governments seem to be very threatened by it. And you should add another layer to it, which is corruption. And whenever I say, like, they don't know how they will get something out of it, it, it could be personal also. Like, the whole political funding system in India is based on the single market into India. So if you take uh, MNC, a foreign company that comes into India, it has to go through the government. And that's exactly how the National Party and the ruling party is actually getting richer every day because like, it could be money that's given to them as donations, but that's the kind of gatekeeping they can really do, right? So if you look at it from that perspective, there is also corruption there because they will determine what is personally the most profitable to them personally and not for the government. I'm happy if it's for the government, but I don't think that's the case here. So what do you suggest people do if they're either in India or if they are interested in you know, hiring or working with people in India in the blockchain space and the Bitcoin space? Like, What can we do or people in India do to affect this, change it, help in some way? Actually, that's what like, we should be more, first of all, educated and in terms of what the actual issue is and the politics behind the issue. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to speak out my mind here and not like have some information that's just in my mind and not outside, right? Because people should know the potential. People should talk about blockchain. And when people talk about banning it, we should approach it as our freedoms being cut off, right? Like it's speech. And so in a lot of other countries, we have the situation where no one can stop code. But in India, we are not even there. There is no privacy. There's no concept of privacy. India treats everything as secrecy. So we need these kind of ideas to spread among people. So people who are trying to work, there are collectives, there are 
people who not prefer to be named but you can find them you can find them in the industry and i am quite vocal and i get a lot of backlash for it but i am vocal and if anyone wants to talk and work on things in india i work with a few people who are actually doing this today so we can talk and you can connect with me on say twitter i'm vixen so Vignesh, we really appreciate your time. You know, just kind of before we wrap this up, a lot of times we zoom way in on the cryptocurrency aspect of it, because obviously it's the part that we talk about here most often on Let's Talk Bitcoin. But we are, as we all know, in the midst of kind of this global, you know, rebound from the global financial crisis that happened 11 years ago. And then, you know, now maybe we have another financial crisis coming up or I mean, like, it feels like there's the part of it that's about Bitcoin, and then there's the part of it that's just about everything else that's happening in the world and with governments kind of at large. How do you see that fitting into this situation? If you look at India, and um, India has been like a well-trained human resource country. So they are trained for specific skills. You can see that in the automobile industry. And especially when the manufacturing or the output and how much of demand for automobiles goes down, it directly affects people. And there will be a lot of unemployment that comes out of it. And if you look at this becoming a effect on other industries also, it will affect a lot of these people because they have no other ways to innovate. There is no other way you can learn a new technology. They, you cannot go into a new industry. And all these things are not something the government could plan because it's, it's a lot that's happening. That's why India should loosen up and it should say, okay, I'll, I'll step down on the radiation. And like follow, say, one of the Western models, like say, at least the US model, where you can have some regulation, but you should let innovation happen, even if it hurts us a little bit. Because in the longer run, if we don't discover newer things, and if we don't make products from India that speak the stories of India, we cannot come out of poverty. People are going to remain poor because each time there's a recession, the poor people get affected the most and they are the most technologically backward. So let's allow innovation to happen and that's how we can bring prosperity into a country like India. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Today's show was sponsored by Purse.io and featured Stephanie Murphy, Jonathan Mohan, Vignesh, and Adam B. Levine. Music for this episode was read by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. Today's episode was edited by Steven. Any questions or comments? Email adam at ltbshow.com. We'll see you next time.